Welcome everyone to the Ken Hill Podcast. I'm Ken Hill. My goal with the podcast is to share the techniques and habits of what the best motorcycle riders in the world do to thrive and survive in a sport that has consequences. Using my 20 plus years of riding and training at the highest levels, I want to make these techniques and habits accessible to every rider in the world. The podcast structure is deliberate. I don't have sponsors. The duration relative to many other podcasts is short, making it simple to listen multiple times, and I only release a new podcast when I feel I have something to share. I'm not cranking out podcasts because my sponsors say I need to. You listeners are my sponsors, and I appreciate the donations, which can be made via the podcast page on my website, khcoaching.com. And now, here's today's episode. Welcome to the Ken Hill Podcast. This is your host, Ken Hill. All right, a little housekeeping uh, before we, we dive into the, uh, the intro on this one. And uh, be sure to send your uh, AMA questions, ask me anything questions. If you have them, I'm gathering another list for another AMA podcast, so you can send those to me. And I started a YouTube series. A lot of people have re- requested that I, um, how can people crash in this corner? Or they'll send me a crash video and say, why did this guy uh, crash? Or why did this rider crash? And uh, I thought I'd, I'd actually start posting these up on YouTube and I'm going to start a series on those. So if you have an AMA question or if you have a turn that you want looked at and we can, we can do a quick cr- critique on those, or you want to send me a crash video or, you know, you can send me a link. Uh, we can take a look and see why um, somebody crashed and say, hey, well, you know, what's happening here? And if we can all learn something from it, then even the better. So you can send those to KenHillPodcast at gmail.com. So this this podcast is a little bit different and, and the title is slightly, slightly uh, misleading. And meaning that... This this all started from an article that I saw in in Grassroots Motorsports, and I, I really love Grassroots Motorsports. I think it's just a, a great it's a great fun magazine. Um, it's just one of the few like motorsports stuff where I can be a gearhead and they just have all sorts of cool stuff. So I, I really like it. So they wrote an article that said, uh, and this article originally. I believe came out in June of 2015 and the article was titled how to master the driving self critique. So of course, you know, I wanted to check this out and I did. And I realized, man, this is, um, I love the idea, but we're, we're not going deep enough or we've actually a little bit of a little bit of clickbait, right? A little bit of, okay, what does some of this mean? And again, for a sport like ours, that's, that has such, um, such consequences. Uh, I really wanted to dive into it. So what this podcast is about is I'm going to go through each one of their points and I'm going to give you my response to each one of their points. So a little bit of a longer podcast, but I also think there's a lot of fantastic information in here. And, um, you know, so really what we're looking at titling this one on my end is mastering your personal on-track program and, and how to stay in the game. And I, th- I think that's important because 
there's again, grassroots makes some fantastic points in here and we want to keep people in the game and realize they can go as far as the sport as they, as they want to. So again, kind of a longer one. Um, but, uh, I think you'll, I think you'll enjoy it. Mastering your personal on-track program, how to stay in the game. You know, this is my take on an article that uh, Grassroots Motorsports uh, published originally in 2015. I saw this um, in late 2022. And of course, I was like, this is pretty cool. And, uh, you know, let's 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 read it and see what it see what it's about. And, you know, I, I really love Grassroots Motorsports. I think it's a great magazine. It completely pushes my gearhead uh, buttons. And I very much empathize with having to do things at a grassroots uh, level. So I just, I, I think it's, I love the, I love their stuff. Um, and, you know, I think in this particular article, and there, this article that they wrote was how to master the self-driving cr- uh, critique. And so, you know, as they, as they go through this, they have essentially 12 uh, points. And when I went through these, I thought, oh man, this is so cool, but you just didn't quite hit um, the nail on the head. And I I am pretty, I, well, no, I am uncompromising on these things because as you heard me talk about before, right, this isn't volleyball or, or bowling, right? We have consequences and, and, and big consequences. There's things we're doing because our life literally depends on it and not just your life, but other people's lives. When you're out on track, it doesn't matter. Bike or car, it doesn't matter. You have other people's lives in your hand. So yeah, I, I, I am uncompromising with, with some of these things. And the idea of self coaching is, is fantastic. Of course it is. But in order to do that, we need to have a clear, you know, we need to have clear fundamentals with proper objectives and and the proper report cards, right? We need to have this loop, this feedback loop of what are we doing, how are we doing, and how do we get to these next levels? So I want to read each one of their points and break each one of them down, and they're going to be broken down a lot deeper with my, my own personal per- perspective. So here we go. Uh, the first point they have is don't allow yourself to plateau. And then I'm going to read, I'm going to read their take on it. Once drivers practice the skill to their own satisfaction, they often stop looking for improvement. Yet your maximum potential is virtually limitless, provided you have su- sufficient motivation to reach it. Improvement is there for the taking only if the ever- effort is invested. On track, focus on the present and save the analysis for the paddock. It is the driver's job to learn continuously, do the hard things easily, gracefully, efficiently. The beginner practices until he or she gets it right. The old hand practices until he or she can't get it wrong. All right. So don't allow yourself to plateau. Well, I get what is being said here. I would have framed it a little bit differently. And I would have framed it as... Do you really want to improve? And this this topic really, you know, boils down to your goals. And are you on a pathway to meeting your goals? And so define your goals, right? If you if you want to be in competition, great. 
hobby, great. You want to be a gearhead? Fantastic. I think all, any of those is great. But by understanding what the long game is, is you can bring that back to what the short game is. So I think, I think it's just important to be asking yourself, okay, what, what are, what are my goals? What are my, what are my goals? And how am I not allowing myself to plateau? So we'll start, we'll start off with that one. The one thing in here that I I really like, which is, and I, I frame it a little bit differently, right? They say the beginner practices until he or she gets it right. The old hand practices until he or she can't get it wrong. And an amateur practices until he or she gets it right. A professional practices it, practice it until he or she can't get it wrong. All right. Number two, do more mental practice. And in their article, they say stretching the mind prior to action raises confidence with your eyes closed Replay the course exactly as you intend to drive it. Imagine perfect laps until they become fluid. Mentally rotate the steering wheel, shift gears, and brake at the appropriate locations. Fine skills and complex techniques can be slowed down and analyzed so that the scenes and actions become familiar. The brain makes little distinction between scene and imagined images. Building and continuously refining a mental track model is important for processing the abundance of real-time information gathered when increasing speed on track. The quality of your mental model is more important than your technical skills. So do more mental practice. And I mean, I think I, I love the idea of this. And really what this is, of course, is visualization. You know, visualization is an incredible tool for improvement but there's actually there's actually a lot more to unpack here um, than what I think they've got going right. They give you they give you they kind of give you the the what to do, but not really the the how to do it. And what we're really talking about here is knowledge objectives. So we because we a lot of times we think oh my gosh we we have to be on track to be able to be doing these things, and realize that most of the work is done off the track, which is what they're, what they're, you know, they're trying to point out and knowledge objectives. I mean, they're so powerful yet we don't really embrace them. So knowledge, knowledge objectives, what, what are they? What are we talking about? What I mean is for instance, track dynamics, understanding whatever track you're at, the entry corners, exit corners, balance corners, where are the slow points? Um, what does a break graph look like for each corner? Reference points, feel references. You know, how, how do you know what to visualize if you haven't figured these out first? So I love what they're saying, but we need to figure out what we're visualizing, what we're practicing. And, and you know, again, breaking at the appropriate locations. Yeah, I get it. But what are those locations? So I think that this is uh, this is fantastic. But there's just a lot more to it. So really think about your the, the knowledge objectives that go on here. Number three, practice scanning techniques. And they write, take a quick visual scan of the area in front of you. Start on your far la- left and scan across to your far right. Concentrate on seeing everything between you and the outermost point. Briefly close your eyes. It take a mental inventory of what you perceived. Repeat the scan. 
This time, separate your scan into frames, mental snapshots. Compare the first scan to the second storyboard images. Surprisingly, unnoticed details are now apparent. Practice behind the wheel of a streetcar, then in a track car at speed. Contrasting track storyboarding with the familiar scenes in your mental model radically improves the odds of doing the right things at the right time. So, all right. So <clears throat> practice scanning techniques, great. I mean, of course, but scanning is actually a very, very small part of the visual skills needed to be successful on track. <laughs> what should you be looking at? How long should you be looking at them, right? Go back to our OODA loop, observe, orient, decide, and act. And I think this is an incredibly important point that we don't talk enough about. Eye timing is different than scanning, right? So scanning, think of, think of scanning as more um, where, let's say, depth perception. So scanning is more for depth perception, thinking about where you're, where you want to be and giving your, yourself a moment to be able to catch up to what's upcoming. But, you know, again, that's, you know, pointing your eyes farther ahead. But I think what ends up being important now is again, in, in my opinion, this is how we're making training training vision skills complicated. Meaning that going back to what they said, right, which is just which is just the sort of one-dimensional scanning or just using your periphery. And it really doesn't need to be complicated. So what am I looking at and how long am I looking at how long am I looking at these things? And, you know, building your own set of reference points, creating your own segments. And by doing this, it automatically, right, it automatically starts to get your eye timing going, meaning, okay, what are my references? How long am I looking at them? How long am I in this segment? And when do I go to the next one? So, yeah, scanning techniques, awesome. But it's just, uh, it's just the, the tip of the iceberg on on what is available with actual vision skills. And yeah, it's just, it, again, it's just not quite, um, not quite deep enough. So, all right. This actually goes, this next one is point your eyes further ahead. And with this one, we're actually going to, to skip a little bit on that one. Uh, point your eyes further ahead with their next one is don't scare or surprise the brain. So let's read these. On their words, vision is, is your overwhelmingly dominant sense. Your eyes lead the way and control smoothness. Without proper visual perspectives, lapping at high speeds can be like driving in a bank of fog where planning ahead is unthinkable but critical. Looking ahead not only gets you where you want to be, but it also focuses concentration. Of course, scanning, scanning at the point of emerging information is not enough. By the time you are aware of a mistake, it's too late to change it. Once it is accurately, accurately perceived and maintained, a well-internalized mental model of the track can be used to anticipate. Anticipation immunizes against accidents. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of good stuff in there. And I think that um, this is going to go along with the next one as well. So hang in there with me. Number five, don't scare or surprise the brain. <laughs> when your visual depths of field get shorter... Escalating speed progressively increases your anxiety. 
Once your visual focus is inside your reaction distance, your eye movements become fixed. You can stop, stop scanning for, for crucial information. The fundamental result of progressively increasing anxiety is fear. Fear brings panic inputs and involuntary panic input is, is always wrong. A brain that is scared sends off commands that don't help lap times. <laughs> Lift. Look over here instead of there. Uh, break in the middle of the corner, whatever it might be, you know, whatever they might have in there. Have a good understanding of what you did right and have a better understanding of what you did wrong. So, again, I get it, but this is, this is um, you know, written more and again the what to do versus versus the how to do it so okay what does this all mean this means be proactive not reactive being proactive is is our goal and being in a position to see things early enough to make the best possible decision before it happens so I mean, that's the idea right you want to be able to again coming into a corner it's very fast you want to be able to look out there be able to say, okay, I know turn X is coming up and it's, these are the things that I have to do. Then you can, you can bring your eyes back, go back to your next reference point, et cetera, et cetera. And we don't want to get, and I do like one of the points they brought in here, right? Which is we basically don't want to get in, get into a corner surprised that you're there. That brings the reactiveness and reactiveness can be okay, but your choices of what you're going to do are very limited, right? React, basically, how you react boils down to how you've trained yourself. So you're going to come up with the thing that, that automatically you've trained the most for, right? Whatever that, that input might be. So <clears throat> I, I, being proactive really, it, it, it limits your, um, uh, I'm sorry, being reactive limits your choices and defaults back to that highest level of your training. And reactive is what makes your, basically your hair on fire and most certainly leads to abrupt inputs. So, you know, going back to five and six, right? Point your eyes further ahead. Don't scare or surprise the brain. I, I mean, honestly, this goes back to what we talked about in number three. And if you've built an appropriate set of references and you've built the appropriate set of eye timing, then all of these take care of themselves. So yeah, there's, again, what I wrote in there is it's easy to overcomplicate this. It's easy to have some of these things. And it's, it's actually really not that complicated. Um, it's just doing it. So, all right, number six, they write, don't be a sucker for the adrenaline rush. Driving is all about making good judgment, good judgments. Judgment is not a sensation. It takes the form of thought. Most feel fast sensations, for example, are distractions that can be unrelated to quick lap times. Carrying demonic amounts of speed into a corner, into a turn may feel fast or gain you a few hundredths of a second initially, but it sacrifices overall speed and can cost you entire seconds. Yeah, I mean, feeling fast versus being fast, two completely different things. And it, it sometimes feeling fast is like, oh man, ah, this is this is awesome. But 
typically feeling fast leads to your hair being on fire. And, and again, as they mentioned, you, you start to start to make some, make some uh, mistakes. So what I really think what this is about is, um, is giving yourself permission to understand that you need to go slow at the right time. So you can accelerate for a longer period of time. And then you also you know, have the appropriate um, um, entry segments to maximize obviously your entry speed, but also maximize how um, things are pointed for the exit. And so number seven that they have, so let's, let's, we're going to kind of continue, continue with this is number seven. They say, don't carry too much speed into a turn. How much speed is too much? Any amount that keeps you from going precisely where you planned. The primary purpose of braking is to slow the vehicle to target turn-in speed. It's the speed of turn-in that establishes your plan positions. Separate braking forces from speed sensing. They are two different things. Again, I, I the way this is written, it's it's actually kind of complicated, right? And so, yeah, don't carry too much speed into a corner. Don't overdrive, right? Don't rush direction. So let, we're going to pause here for a second. And it's it's we have to be really careful with this because. I'm not saying don't get into the corner too slow. I'm not saying point and shoot. I'm not saying these things. What I'm saying is understand that exits last longest and understand that I do, I do want to carry as much entry speed as humanly possible, but I don't want to screw up my exit. So yeah, don't carry too much speed into a corner. Essentially don't rush direction. Don't rush direction, right? That's one of the five reasons why we why we crash. Don't rush direction. And it's, again, going back to giving yourself permission to go slow at the right time or know, know where that slow point is, right? Know where that slow point is so you can get a better exit and then continue to, to work on your drive. So, yeah, it's, uh, it, is, it is interesting. Um, okay, number eight. Don't overdrive. They write, do something inefficiently, badly, requires physical and emotional strength as you continually snatch yourself back from disaster. Beginners should not expect to post times that world champions would be proud to claim. Old hands should expect to spend practice time refining existing skills. Fatigue, anger, and overconfidence all blur judgment and are the most common explanations for overdriving. Relax. You were just testing the limits. Now you know what needs to change. Recognize the need for a coach to extract and develop your next steps. So, yeah, don't overdrive. I'm going to say this one a little bit differently, um, which is separate emotional from technical. So <laughs> we've all done it, which is I want a lap time. I am jacked for the lap time. And you go out and you and you do your best to haul ass, and the lap time sucks. So what do you do? You go harder, and the lap time gets worse. What happens? So then what do you do? You go harder. Lap time gets worse. So it, beca- it we need to understand that the lap time comes at the end of your lap, and the way that you're going to get a good a good lap time is by doing all the things correctly, right? Having good direction, 
having great exits, having good straight up and down brake pressure, having the appropriate force at turn in, having the right brake release points, moving your eye, uh, right, all the proper fundamentals are what are going to get you to that. So you want a better lap time and, and you, you want to not overdrive? Yeah, great. Get technical. Get very, very technical. And I think you'll be surprised at, at what that does. So yeah, we want we want that performance. And this is one of the hardest things that we do, right? Which is, you know, we're all worried. We're all worried. You haven't driven in three months. You haven't ridden your bike in three months. You're all worried that how you're going to perform. I think you'd be pleasantly surprised um, how well you can do if you just stick to the techniques. So, um, all right. Number, number nine, recognize fatigue. They write, become fatigue aware. Adhere to the three mistakes rule. Once you've identified three successful mental and or physical mistakes, realize that many more have already gone unnoticed. Break routine, slow down or go into the pits if necessary. Why driving leads to fatigue is no mystery. You're, you're, you're poised for flight. Your muscle systems are are caulked for emergency and releases that never come. You become tired and poised, but you can't will yourself to let go. Fatigue itself is, snowball- is a snowballing mechanism. Tired muscles contract themselves involuntary and thus still use more energy, generating more fatigue, right? Just in an uncontrolled effort. Fatigue focuses concentration on your body. If your attention is on your body, then it's not on your, not on your driving. So this this is a, this is a pretty good one, right? And has all the right stuff. Um, but I I think I think we're missing a few points here. And when you have built in the proper references, and then you start missing your references, it's time to reevaluate where you're at. You know, missing apexes, not using all the track, car suddenly loose or tight. Lap time is off, and, and, right? So use your report cards and think about how am I doing? How am I doing? And yeah, if you're missing three apexes, especially three apexes in a row, then there's there's something that's uh, that's going on. And let's let's take this a little bit further. And I've actually got a, a little bit of a story that I want to share on this one. So let's remember, regardless regardless in motorsports, you're an athlete. Embrace yourself as an athlete. There's three elements to an athlete, right? There's your technique, right? What you do. There's your physical fitness and your mental fitness. And all three of those have to be looped together to work. So if you might have the best technique and, um, you know, you might have the best mental fitness in the world, but let's say your flight got delayed and you're going to the track and you've gotten two hours of sleep and now you're physically smoked. Well, that you're physically smoked is going to block access. It's going to block, it's going to block your technique. It's going to block access to it. Just as is maybe you got a phone call and um, you're about ready to go out on track. You get a phone call and uh, you're pissed off or whatever it might be. And now you've got it. You've got anxiety and you're going to go do something dangerous. And uh, yeah, now realize that the mental fitness, you don't have the mental fitness. So now, Yes, your your technique is is blocked. So recognize fatigue for sure, but realize that we can always improve this. Quick story on that. So 
Um, I just got back from doing a few days at Coda and doing uh, two days of driving with motorcycle people. And very interesting where in the car, uh, looking at heart rates, because we, we track all that stuff, is on because cars are, were new for, for these people. Um, their heart rate was quite a bit higher with anxiety than it was, uh, than it was on a motorcycle. And so, yeah, we, we, we were smoked by the end of the day for sure. Um, at least the student, the students were smoked at the end of the day because their heart rate was so darn high. So realize, yeah, absolutely recognize fatigue. And as soon as their fatigue went up, um, there was no reason to do the last session on, on something that wasn't going to work because they mentally couldn't handle it. So. For sure, uh, recognize fatigue. Number 10, learn to make mistakes. They write, mistakes are not just golden opportunities for learning. They are, in an important sense, the primary opportunity for learning something truly new. When you're on track, pre-plan three different potential mistakes for the same corner. Run the exercise for five successful laps and then evaluate immediately thereafter. A mistake does not become a failure until you refuse to admit it and correct it. The secret is knowing when and how to make mistakes so that nobody gets hurt and you can learn from the experience. So I think, I think this could have been worded. I think this could have been learned, um, um, reworded, learn to recognize mistakes, um, learn to make mistakes mistakes are fine. You know, ask any high level, you know, rider driver, how many perfect laps they've done. And the bottom line is none or not, not many. The big takeaway here is develop visual and feel references. So when the report cards for these are off, you recognize the mistakes earlier. And I think that's a, that's a huge point. So learn to make mistakes. You know, mistakes are going to happen. As your pace comes up, as you're in traffic, as your setup's not right, whatever it might be. But the idea is we want to understand, okay, I did this and I got, I got this result and I want to be able to, you know, I want to be able to fix it earlier. So I I would like to, I would, yeah, I would say, you know, let's, let's, let's learn, um, you know, let's learn to recognize mistakes. All right. Number 11. Don't be resistant to change. They write, our society tends to be expert-centric, and experts do not make mistakes. Um, It's perpetrating that it is the attitude that success is driven by self-image requiring us to be experts rather than learners. There's nothing worse than flailing around trying to fix something you don't comprehend. You only make things worse. Admitting you need help and asking for it often requires more courage than trying to do it on your own. The most important lesson of all is to trust that mistakes are inevitable, but you must, but you can constantly challenge yourself to improve. Yeah, so, you know, don't be resistant to change. When I work with riders or drivers at a high level and we're, we're trying to build pace, figuring, figuring out is, is it the vehicle or is it the rider driver? And the way that I look at that is, is yeah, don't be resistant to change. But more importantly, when? When do you change? So I have I have a way that we that we approach that. And it doesn't matter whether it's an it's an amateur or a professional. 
And the way that we look at that is if you do three laps, if you do three laps in a row within three tenths of a second, try something different. That means for whatever reason, you've, you know, you've plateaued a little bit and we need to try something different. Now, it could be something in the vehicle, right? It could be something, um, be something um, that you want to make that maybe you're trying a different setup, whatever it might be, and you want to go, you know, work on that. Great. Or it might be something with you and your technique. It might be, okay, I'm going to have a later break release point. I'm going to have an earlier break release point. I'm going to try setting up for this corner um, a little bit more on the inside, or I'm going to try to square it off a little bit. So don't be resistant to change. I get it, but it's when, when should we be doing that? And if run three laps within three tenths. And I think that is a really good way to be able to do that. And then you can start to look at, okay, what, what can we do to go quicker? And you know, how do we, again, how do we track those changes, et cetera, et cetera. So as the article states, it, it, you know, it, it takes, you know, it takes courage to try something new. And I think of it, I think of it this way, I'm giving myself permission to try something new. And frankly, that's, that's why, you know, we need to look at what the best in the world are doing. And uh, if there's, if they're changing something that they're doing, and that's going back to what the best in the world are doing, we look at what the best in the world are doing. And that's what we try to emulate because what they're doing is dynamic. It's not fixed. They're always improving. I mean, if we look at the world Superbike test at Puerto Mayo, we had, you know, four riders that were under the lap record from just the end of the year. So always improving, improving. And what are they doing to, to make that happen? So I think, again, great. Don't be resistant to change. I, I, I get it, but I, I think it's, it's, you know, understanding um, how we're going to make those changes. So, all right. Number 12, be in the zone. They write, when you're in the zone, Effort is optimized, not overstressed, and endurance is increased. You're performing within yourself. Concentration slows time to allow for confidence, the ultimate tool for getting control of the time sequence. More interesting is what control of the time sequence within the movement does for skill. Different arcs or portions of arcs within a sequence of motion can be moved with brilliant results. It's not the gizmo, not the tool, but you, the tool user, that makes the real difference. Yeah, um, <laughs> be in the zone. That is really easy to say. It is insanely difficult to do. And honestly, I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's what we're trying to accomplish. Being in the zone or flow state is all about being proactive with subconscious techniques blending together. Because, you know, when you're in the state, your subconscious takes over, enabling you more room in your brain for more nuanced action. And, you know, that, again, that's really what it's, that's really what it's all, all about. Being in the zone is really about the culmination of other, of all the other points that we were just, we were just going over. And just to finish up on number 12 is as you, as you take all these other points that we, that we took into play, is as you apply your reps to these, then of course your reps become more subconscious and they become easier and then allows your brain, it just becomes a more natural movement that allows your brain to go do something else. So yeah, be in the zone, absolutely, positively. Um, again, insanely, insanely difficult to do. And so this is more of, again, how, how, do, we, how do we do this? So 
All right. There you go. Um, that's the 12 things that uh, Grassroots Motorsports um, had written. And those are my 12 responses. And I really want to salute them for, for putting this out there. But I want, but I also want everyone to know that there's actually a much deeper aspect to these points. And for all the time and money and consequence um, that we have in, in, in motorsports, we need to pay attention to this, to this deep work. It's so important that, that, again, with all the consequences and the time and the money that we do that. So, again, hats off to them for, for putting this out there. But I also wanted to give a little bit of my take on it and explain that there, there's a lot more to it available. And also make sure that we talk about it's make sure that we differentiate between the what to do versus the how to do it. Ken Hill Podcast, 2021, all rights reserved.